and welcome, Misties, to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown to tell stories and analyze the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries for our and hopefully your amusement. I am your howling of a host, Gary, and my wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. So now you speak werewolf. Yeah. Ah, well, there you go. That's a very good trick. Thanks. Since you're such an expert on werewolves, hey, Goldie Ann. What? What did the big bad wolf do after his workout? Have a big bad breakdown? Oh, no, that's just what I do. No. He huffed and he puffed. Oh, come on. Really? <laughs> <laughs> ah. Oh, just so y'all know, I got in trouble for not laughing at his bad jokes because I laughed at some on TV. So, therefore, the TV is funnier than he is so <laughs> that's funny yeah uh, as you guys can tell i get a lot of support here off the air and speaking of support we did receive some kind words from author scott donnelly on instagram he wrote quote hey guys just wanted to say that i've recently discovered your podcast and it's quickly becoming my favorite cryptid related show Love the researched, unbiased storytelling, and I like the pop culture connections that are always included. Keep it up. Signed, Scott. Awesome. This is a great honor to us as Donnelly has written multiple horror books such as Cheater Cheater, The Curse of the Burroughs series. Yeah, I can't wait to read those. You really should. I've already finished Cheater Cheater and I finished uh, the first of the Curse of the Burroughs series. So. Awesome. I would recommend that you check them out. Have you got them on your Kindle? I definitely have them on my Kindle. <laughs> so now you have them on your Kindle. His books go really well with our style of telling folklore and urban legends. Now, if you would like for us to read your thoughts about the show, please leave us a review on the podcast player or social media that you utilize. We are also part of the Buy Me a Coffee app, which you can click on in the show notes or from our website, withinthemist.com. Uh, the app enables you to donate a few bucks if you feel we are entertaining and if you would like to support the show. Well, you could always do it to, if you want him to tell no more dad jokes. That gets pretty expensive. The, <laughs> the no dad joke fee is pretty much on the top we tier We got to buy you that. dinner first. Huh? That's true. It, that would be on the buy me a dinner app. <laughs> but it is always nice uh, if you want to donate a little bit just to let us know that you're having as much fun as we are. As far as a disclaimer... Today's episode contains a creature known to attack people and animals that some members of our audience might find a bit unsettling, so please be forewarned. We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little scared. Listener discretion is always advised. So now, Goldie Ann, let's take a walk within the mist. Wisconsin, the heart of dairy country. They got cheese curds, right? That is where the cheese curds yes! come from. Jeez. In fact, it would not be hard to believe that the state has more cows than people. So the protection of this livelihood has been a prime concern for generations. So much so that the hunting of wolves had officially wiped out the wolf population there. Oh, no. Well, it had to be a choice between them and their livestock, and pretty much well, as yeah. society shows, the wolves are always going to lose out. Poor puppies. But however, 
when a man like Wolf begins to terrorize the livestock and people near the rural community of 6,500 in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, it is going to attract attention. This hairy predator stands six feet tall with shiny yellow eyes and pointed ears. Although covered in gray and brown fur, it has the body of a muscular man capable of running on all four of its legs or just its two hind legs. Dang. Today, we discuss the Beast of Bray Road. Awesome. So is this kind of like a rougarou or is it different? We're going to get in. It is going to touch into a lot of different uh, combinations of theories and legends. The Rougarou being part of that. Awesome. You know, I love a Rougarou. Well, you being from Louisiana, that would <laughs> fall right into it. <laughs> now, have you ever heard of the Beast of Bray Road before this? I have not. It's what you're here for to tell me. Well, well, then let us begin. Bray Road connects Highway 11 East of Elkhorn, Wisconsin, with the county road. It is approximately three miles of farmland pastures, cornfields, and woodlands. This is a picture-perfect, peaceful part of Wisconsin. It is also home for the werewolf-like creature. And he was about to make his presence known. Chapter 1, The School Night Guard. Mark Shackleman had arrived at the St. Coletta School for Exceptional Children a little before midnight. He carried his flashlight on his belt, and as the night watchman for the school, he walked these grounds every night. The school was located inside a former Franciscan convent outside of Jefferson, Wisconsin, and the grounds covered several old buildings, an orchard, and wide open fields where several old Native American burial mounds had been preserved. The year was 1936. Shackleman was in his 30s, a husband and father, working the uneventful job for a paycheck to support his family. In rural Jefferson, there just wasn't much to worry about, save the possibility of a burglar or some teenagers playing prank on the school grounds. That night, Shackleman was crossing the fields when he saw a shadow. He had to squint to see what it was. What he saw a hunched form on all fours, digging into one of the burial mounds. From the canine way it dug, it could have been a dog or maybe a wolf. But even from far away, Shackleman could see that the thing was far, far too big for that. Suddenly, it looked at him. Then it stood up. The sleek, hairy body unfurled to over six feet tall. It had a shaggy canine face, but beneath the thick fur, the muscular body of a man. A low growl echoed across the field, almost as if the creature was trying to speak. Shackleman smelled rotting meat. Gross. His heart beating fast, trying to control his breathing, Shackleman stepped back. With sudden violence, the thing turned and ran off in the opposite direction, into the trees, and was gone. The next night, the brave Shackleman returned to St. Coletta for his usual rounds. He saw the shadow again, digging into the same mound as the night before. This time, he gripped his flashlight tight, ready to run or swing if need be. This time, it stood up and opened its mouth. Shackleman saw fangs hanging down from its teeth, and its lips were pulled back in a snarl. 
It growled at him, its speech half human and half beast. Interesting. He didn't move, and again, the creature turned and left. He never saw it again, but the horrendous growl, the way it tried to speak to him, stuck in his mind for years afterwards. Wow. Just so you know, if I if this was me and it happened to me, my last dying words would have been, here, puppy, 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 as I'm mauled to death by a werewolf. Because, you know, that's that's going to be how I die, I'm sure. And I will make sure that's written on your tombstone. Thank you. Of, well, for Shackleman, he survived his his exploits. Probably because he ran. No, Shackleman didn't run. He stood his ground. Woo. I think that's what spooked the creature off. They say that. And don't look him in the eye, but stand your ground. I, I mean, not to a werewolf. <laughs> I don't know what they say for that. Yeah, I think there's different roles when yeah. it comes to a werewolf. Considering the human-like characteristics of the creature that Shackleman encountered and the fact that it seemed to be digging into an old Indian burial ground, could the creature have been what is considered a skinwalker? Oh, yeah. A skinwalker is an ancient Native American legend. Shaman are medicine men who dedicate themselves to performing rituals and invoking spirits to cure the sick and injured members of the tribe. It is considered a very noble tradition amongst them. However, a rare few of these medicine men abuse their magic for evil. The medicine man is then given the mystical powers that vary from tribe to tribe, but the power of all of them mentions the ability to turn into or possess an animal. Is that what a Wendigo is? Wendigo is a different version of it. A Wendigo is when a person is so hungry that they give in to a spirit to possess them and they give in to cannibalism. Oh, okay. I thought it was because they wanted Burger King or something. No. Um, for a skinwalker, these are innocent Indian medicine men who crave power and... They receive it and the ability to turn into animals. Consider this a Jedi going evil and becoming a Sith. <laughs> the skinwalkers are described as being mostly animalistic physically, even when they are in human form. Forget silver and the use of a silver bullet. They are nearly impossible to kill, except with a bullet or knife dipped in white ash. White ash? Is that like a camp? camp? It's a tree. Oh, okay. Interesting. The beast of Bray Road could have been a skinwalker, searching through the Indian burial grounds either for a cure or worse, for some ancient artifact that would grant it even more mystical powers before it was discovered by Shackleman. Regardless of what he saw, either as a werewolf creature or a skinwalker, Shackleman never told anyone other than his wife and son about his encounter with the creature, and he was happy that he never came across it again. The story could have faded away. However, creatures like the beast have a tendency for returning when you least expect them to. And what year was this? When was this? The Shackleman encounter was in 1936. Okay. Yeah, I guess I could see why they wouldn't tell anybody. Like nowadays, you'd be telling everybody. And that's kind of what happened. Chapter 2, Scattered Reports. During the 1970s and the 1980s, <laughs> of course, there would be multiple calls of a werewolf-like creature. One police report from the 1970s was from a woman who called in to report an attempted break-in. When she was interviewed by the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources during an investigation, the woman stated that the intruder was a large, unknown animal. With posable thumbs. 
It approached her home and tried to enter through a door. She also later reported the beast returned to her home and injured a farm animal. It inflicted a deep wound that extended from one shoulder to the other of one of her horses. The only evidence left behind was a footprint, which measured over 12 inches in length. Wow. It's like my dad's foot. Is your father a uh, werewolf? That would have been cool, but no. He was a golfer. Similar but different. Yeah. Now back to the story. Kim Del Rio was seven years old in 1977. It was during a hot summer day when she saw a group of onlookers in her neighborhood on 50th and Wright Street. When she got to the front yard area with her mother, they saw a neighbor standing on her porch, clutching her child and screaming at some dog-like animal, which was dark brownish color with some other colors mixed in. Kim was later hypnotized to help remember more details of the incident. She seemed a little startled that she had forgotten how nervous the creature appeared to be. She remembered the animal as being like a dog, but it had bushy hair, big teeth, and hands with human-like fingers. Its arms were shorter than the back legs. Her mother would later only refer to the animal as that dog thing, (laughs) and other neighbors refused to talk about it even today. I don't know if I should be offended or not when you throw off a... Southern accent. I don't even know why I threw in a Southern accent when for Wisconsin. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, to add flavor. Yeah. And I have no idea. <laughs> that dog thing. <laughs> However, in the fall of 1981, Marv Kirschnick, an artist, was driving through Elkhorn, Wisconsin. He saw some type of creature standing behind a tree and he stopped to look at it. At first, he thought it was a dog, but as the creature looked back at him, he changed his mind. It made direct eye contact with him, and the intelligence that existed behind those eyes was enough to send a chill down his spine. The creature seemed to have human-like characteristics, as though it was canine with human hands. All these decades later, Kirshnick still creates all types of artwork with images of the creature he saw that day. Now, many skeptics of the beasts of Bray Road believe that it was simply a misidentified animal, probably more likely a wolf, a bear, or a large feral dog. At one time, the wolf was almost completely made extinct in the state of Wisconsin. Conservation methods since then has enabled the population of the wolf to grow. In 2019 to 2020, the midwinter count estimated that there was a minimum of 1,034 to 1,057 individual wolves and 256 wolf packs in Wisconsin. Wow. Now, go pet them all. All 1,050 of them? Yeah. The count was conducted in the winter when the snow cover allows efficient tracking and it represents the low point in the annual population cycle. So there could have been even more wolves. Skeptics believe that what they saw could have been a wolf due to the fact that the average length, tip to nose to tip of tail, of an adult female gray wolf is four and a half to six feet long. That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. Adult males average five to six and a half feet long. Because they're big. Especially these gray wolves that circulate throughout Wisconsin. Yeah. Even more so, the Soviet Union had performed a study of packs of wild wolf-slash-dog hybrids, which indicates that in a wild state, these combinations can be even larger. Wow. 
And there have been many pictures taken of wolves on their hind legs seeing eye to eye with their human caretakers. It's like an Irish wolfhound. Very much so. God, I want one. Man, big dog. Could these sightings during the 1970s been of an extremely large wolf that survived the extinction and found itself mixed in with civilization? These reports and the multiple calls created a file with Animal Control Office in the Walworth County. It was entitled Werewolf. <laughs> it may have been meant as a joke, but to some residents, the encounters were becoming very serious. Chapter 3, The Beast of Bray Road Legend is Officially Born. If it had not been because of a slow news week in 1991, the story of the creature would have just been rumors or stories told between teenagers on a school bus. However, Linda S. Godfrey, reporter and cartoonist for The Week, a Sunday paper for the Walworth County, got the first traces that there was more here than just rumors. The creature had affected the lives of two teenagers on separate encounters. But the stories matched up so well that it was impossible not to associate the same creature to both incidents. The first story occurred in one autumn night in 1989. A young woman, Lorraine and Drizzy, was driving home from work as a manager for the Elkhorn Lounge called The Jury Room. On Bray Road, it was very late, nearly 1.30 in the morning, and everything was deathly quiet. Off to the side of the road, she saw what looked like a person bent over. It had its back to the road, and she was just a few feet from the being. But she continued to drive forward and was able to see the front of the creature. She realized that the person had fangs, yellow eyes, and pointed ears, and a long and snouty face, much like a wolf. The creature was powerfully built with rather strange human-like arms. There appeared to be claws at the end of the fingers. When describing it later, she referred to the creature as a freak of nature. Poor puppy. It had been kneeling at the side of the road with its hands reaching towards its mouth. The long claws were holding a small dead body of something that was probably roadkill. It had ripped chunks of flesh from the carcass and was chewing at them within its fangs. The headlights of Andrizzi's car reflected in the eyes of the beast, but it didn't frighten it away. It merely turned its head to direct its attention back at the car and its driver, as though attempting to calculate its best course of action. Was it able to chase down and hunt this person in the car, or was it safer to stay behind? Andrezzi was not willing to wait for what action might be and accelerated off from the gruesome situation, leaving the beast with its meal. For her, the creature was too manlike to have been a dog or other canine. She felt it had to be something supernatural, perhaps even something satanic. Oh, Lord, not even in the Bible Belt. You know, what's funny is that sounds almost a lot like the story I wrote <laughs> down the dark road. That's true. You see the Rougarou. Of course, you know, my guy didn't quite get away. Yeah. My guy. Your, 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 ha your stories usually have a darker ending. I'm a horror writer. What do you expect? Wow. <laughs> They're not going to be happy princess and butterfly endings. Well, for Andrizzi, she drove off safely. And... Doris Gibson also had her car ride encounter on Bray Road. Oh, the other story, yeah. Exactly. And this resulted in her meeting the beast. 
She had been driving on Halloween of 1991, perhaps just as a coincidence. Perhaps. And the roads were smoggy and reduced visible. It was quiet until her front tire lifted off the ground suddenly. She knew instantly that she had hit something with her car. She slowed to a stop about 50 feet further and exited the car to determine what it was that she had hit. She doesn't watch very many scary movies. She's missing a little bit of the rules. Yeah. It was her belief that it was a small animal, such as a possum or a raccoon. But she didn't see anything on the road. She continued to look around and then moved around to the rear of her car. It was then that she discovered that what she had hit, and it definitely was not a raccoon. From 50 feet down the darkened road, a form larger than the teenage woman stood up. She saw it rise, bearing a large hairy chest at her, as it started to head towards her, slowly at first, but gaining speed. It was obvious that this was no German Shepherd or any <laughs> dog breed that she was aware of. It was much, much larger, with long, straight brown hair. Gibson barely made it back inside her car before the beast grabbed onto the rear end with its claws. Dang. She pressed hard onto the gas pedal. At first, there was hesitation, as if the creature was holding her back. The creature was not going to let go. Then she was able to pull away and head onward down Bray Road. See, now that's kind of like a story I'd write. It gets even worse for poor Gibson. Yeah. She did not see the lower part of the creature, but she was sure that the thing had to be chasing her on two legs because she was able to view it in the rearview mirror as its chest was heaving in and out as it chased after her. <laughs> the sound of its feet were pounding against the pavement as it was able to keep up with her for the first hundred yards. It then gave up the chase, possibly due to its being injured. The creature, however, didn't give up its interest in Gibson. It made another appearance that night as she was picking up a friend from a party. The younger friend saw the creature and pointed it out to Gibson, who recognized it immediately as the thing wow. she had hit with her car earlier. Dang, it's back for revenge. That is what she thought, so she immediately stepped on the gas, not even wanting to give it a second chance to attack her car. When she was finally safe at home, she inspected her car, and there were claw marks on the back of the trunk where the beast had grabbed hold of it. Was she really safe? From 1991 till today, yes. Okay. Because I was going to say, you know, it, it might have followed her home, crawled through her window, mauled her to death, you know, never seen her again. I know that's how your horror books usually go, but for Gibson, <laughs> she was safe at home and she later gave her story to a reporter and it got published into the newspapers across the country. Impressive. For both stories, both eyewitnesses expressed a human intelligence in their version of the beast. And Drizzy felt that it was a satanic presence, while Gibson was convinced that what it was chased her on two legs and followed her when she went to pick up her friend. Other bizarre occurrences were reported before and after the bulk of the beast's sightings. During the summer, roughly a dozen animals had been left in a ditch along Willow Road, which is near Bray Road. The Delavan Humane Officer, John Fredrickson, thought the animals might have been used in some kind of occult ritual. The idea was dismissed by the police chief in June of 1991. 
The creatures had ropes secured around their legs, their throats were slit, while others had been decapitated or dismembered. What? One dog, believed to be the most recent death among the corpses, had its heart removed. That's not the bear beast, is it? Let me continue. A number of the deceased animals matched the description of missing local pets. None had been killed by traffic, and no other authority seemed interested in the findings and quickly ended the investigation. They even bulldozed over the ditch where the dead animals had been found, completely burying the corpses. There was never an answer or proven connection between any kind of a cult and the possible summoning of the beast. <coughs> Police cover up. <coughs> I'm not saying that, but I'm saying. As far as curses are concerned, could the beast be a werewolf? The story of werewolves and their curses have traveled from Europe with the settlers most notably with the French trappers of the north of the United States. Early French settlers would report humans cursed to change into a wolf-man creature. The legend says that when a person meets a loop-guru and sheds the blood of the beast, the loop-guru will change to its human form and reveal its secret. So yes, the French loop-guru and the Cajun French roo-guru, same thing. Very much tied together. If the new victim speaks of the encounter to anyone, they will become a loop guru themselves. If they can remain quiet about it, they will return to their human form and continue on with their lives. The loop guru would spread across the country and even move southward to be known as the Rougarou of Louisiana. Woohoo! A story we have covered on a previous episode. So, a werewolf loop guru or rougarou would have been tainted by a curse providing the satanic feeling that andrezzi experienced but it also provides reasoning why it was so diligent on pursuing gibson perhaps the creature was not out to attack gibson but to warn her of the curse that should befall her if she spoke up it may have needed to ensure that his curse was not passed on to the girl or that his secret identity was revealed Linda Godfrey's newspaper articles caught the attention of the world. Everyone soon was looking for the beast of Bray Road. For the small town of Elkhorn, it became a media circus of newspapers, reporters, and the curious. It also provided the groundwork for later encounters, though not in the same spotlight as Andrezzi and Gibson, but it still kept the legends alive. Chapter 4, Modern Sightings a dairy farmer, Mike Etten, made a report about a sighting that occurred in March of 1990. He admitted to have been drinking about the time of the incident, but claims he saw a dog-like beast that was much larger than a domesticated canine. He described the creature as sitting like a raccoon, using its front paws to hold on to something it was eating near the Bray Road, Hospital Road intersection. As he passed by, the beast looked at him with a thick, wide snout. Etten described it as shorter than a dog's muzzle, but its legs were thick and covered in dark hair. Initially, Etten has dismissed the creature as a bear, but after hearing other reports in 1991, he began to wonder if that was accurate. In late winter of 1992, Tammy Bray saw the same beast her husband had encountered three years previously. When she was driving home from work around 10.30 at night, a few miles from Bray Road, the wolfman crossed the road in front of her. Her description matched all of the previous sightings. 
She did add that it walked strong in the front, more slouchy, slopey-like in the rear. Hmm. In 1994, David and Mary Paglaroni claimed that they saw the dogman in Honey Creek, Wisconsin. While driving home, the couple saw a creature standing on the bridge. They stopped their car 20 to 25 feet away from the creature and were able to describe it as being about 7 feet tall, 6 to 700 pounds, wow. brown fur, and dark eyes. The creature had jumped from the side of the bridge and disappeared into the night. Thank God. Six, seven, six hundred, seven hundred pounds? That's, That's a huge. solid dog. <laughs> Heather Bowie, who was 11 years old at the time, claimed a similar incident to Gibson's sighting. Hers occurred around Christmas of 1990, and she had no idea that her story was similar to Gibson's until the two girls were discussing it on the school bus. Bowie's story was passed on by the bus driver, Pat Lester, who was also Lori and Drizzy's mother. Bowie's sighting occurred about 4.30 p.m. while she was on her way home from sled riding with friends. Near Loveland Road, which is about a mile and a half south of the intersection of Hospital Road and Bray Road, they saw a large dog walking along a creek in a cornfield. The girl estimated that the creature was about a block away. Assuming it to be a dog, the children called to it. Yep, that's me. Hey, puppy, puppy. Yeah, puppy. Noticing its audience, the creature watched them and stood up on its hind legs. It took four steps in their direction. Although it appeared unaccustomed to walking on its hind legs, it then dropped down to all fours and charged the children. Dang. Bowie claimed that the creature was able to leap a bigger leap than dogs run. Ah. A few years later, in 2003, Matt Wakeley was driving past a graveyard in Wisconsin. He saw a six-foot-tall hairy creature standing upright in the graveyard. He describes the creature as a cross between a wolf and a caveman. Another sighting. In 2004, Katie Zan and two friends encountered a group of dogmen in Rock County, Wisconsin. They had gone to investigate an area where others had reported seeing the creature. They were walking in the woods when they came across a group of three dogmen drinking from a stream. According to Zan, the creatures behaved like humans but were not human. When the dogmen began to approach the party... The two ran away from the area. So what does she mean that they behaved like humans? Were they drinking out of the river with cups? Well, probably drinking out of the... <laughs> with their hands? With their hands. Oh. That's interesting. So we have a bunch of different stories right there. Just well, one right after another. It seems... Sighting. And after the media became involved, the number of sightings of the beasts of Bray Road had exploded. What if these were real? Should well, we go to Wisconsin? I definitely would like to. Have some cheese? Some cheese curds and some Bray Wolf? Yeah. Maybe we can summon the Bray Wolf with cheese curds. I haven't heard of that happening yet. He seems to be more attracted to roadkill. Now, the problem with all these new stories coming out is that there was no physical evidence. This continued to elude the ability to prove the existence of the beast. Many skeptics began to accuse the Beast of Bray Road as just being a hoax. That's a lot of stories. Exactly. I mean, it is natural for people to want to become associated with something in the news. 
especially when it's exciting as dangerous as the Beast of Bray Road. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying they're all real, but, you know, something's there. Well, stories don't require proof, right? but the number of them did make it difficult to determine which were real and which were mistakes, and right. then which of them were just out-and-out out fake. Well, that that's just impossible to, to do. So unfortunately, for the people coming forth with their true encounters of the beast, there's just no way of knowing. Mm -hmm. And the age of movies would make the line between truth and fiction even harder. Yeah. Chapter 5, the 2002 Gable film. Wow. In 2002, a film surfaced, supposedly made in the 1970s. Oh. It became known as the Gable film because of a paper label affixed to the box. The film, which is only about three minutes long, shows at first what looks like a simple home movies. Kids riding snowmobiles, a man washing his truck, pretty standard stuff that people in the 1970s would film. However, near the end of the film, the person videotaping is riding down a remote dirt road. When he stops and goes to check what looks to be a large, bulky creature on all fours. The creature suddenly turns after the cameraman who tries to run away. Then there's a rustling and a brief shot of teeth and fangs before the camera <laughs> falls to the ground. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. This is three minutes long. Three minutes long. Well, there was a second film supposedly discovered and showed a police investigation after the cameraman in the first film is found dead. The police camera pans over to the two officers examining the body, which is revealed to have been torn in half by whatever attacked the first cameraman. I want to see this. Have you seen it? I have not seen the Gable film. I'm going to have to look for it on YouTube. If I do find it, I'll place a link to it in our show yeah. notes. But in posts to several cryptozoology and related forums, a user identified as Don Quixote stated that he knew a relative of the dead body in the film. The relative said that the officer saw something that was apparently very traumatic. The officer lost his mind and began rambling. Dogs have four toes. Bears have five. For years, the debate raged about whether the film was real or fake. Fake. Sorry. Spoilers. <laughs> I'm just saying it. I don't need to know the rest. Well, the History Channel's Monster Quest uh, did an episode about it in 2010. Yeah. Steve Cook confirmed that both films were a fake, made in 2002 by Mike Agrusa. The creature in the first film was actually a man in a ghillie suit. I feel like I might have seen this, actually. Especially when you said the ghillie suit. I'm pretty sure I've seen it. At first, Monster Quest dramatized the event and tried to make it appear that their expert had analyzed and found curious flaws in the films. Then the TV show dispatched werewolf expert Linda Godfrey to interrogate Cook to determine the truth. Cook claimed in a lengthy blog post that he had informed all parties involved in the production that the film was fake weeks before filming of the episode even began. So this was a hoax that was created on purpose and even the people involved admitted to it. Right. It was pretty good, though. Mm -hmm. It's very creepy. It's one of those found footage uh, before that became really the popular thing with the Blair Witch. Right. Now, regardless of whether the Gable film was meant to be for her entertainment or just a hoax, 
The answers to what is out there in the woods is still unanswered. Sadly, the beasts of Bray Road could just be overactive imaginations and zealous storytelling. But what if there is more to the story? I think there is. Could a skinwalker have been searching for a powerful Indian artifact? Or is it a demon summoned by the occult? Or a man cursed to howl at the moon? Perhaps it is just a mistaken wolf or a wolf dog in the wrong place at the wrong time. These are questions we want answers to, but perhaps we'll never have. That's kind of cool, though. I'm going to look for some puppies. Well, I'll put that on the list. Okay. But until we get to that list, <laughs> we here at the home, uh, there are movies based on the stories and sightings of the Beast of Bray Road. Yeah, I ran across one when I was uh-huh. searching, because I do love found footage horror movies. So that's pretty much what I do a lot of searching for. And I came across The Beast of Bray Road. Good. I didn't watch it, though. I should have. Well, the subject has attracted Hollywood. And for those of you interested in curling up on the couch with a bowl of popcorn, I recommend The Beast of Bray Road, which was made in 2005. I think it's that one. It's most likely. It's a movie about a local sheriff being forced to accept that the deaths that are happening in his town are linked to a predator. And that this predator has the DNA of both man and wolf. Now, the Beast of Bray Road of 2005 is not factually true, but is made more for the horror splatter fans. So it doesn't follow any of the legend? It follows the legends, but then it kind of goes on its own. It turns it basically into a werewolf movie. The Bray Road Beast in 2018 is another movie that takes place in the 1990s as the town of Elkhorn becomes the center of real werewolf sightings. This one is probably the one you're talking about because it's done more as a documentary and it was a well-done production by Small Town Monsters. Hmm. This one actually goes through reenactments and encounters and covers all of the actual experiences people had with the Beast of Bray Road. So if you want one that's more accurate, go to the Bray Road Beast. If you just want to have some werewolf fun, fun go to the Beast of the Bray Road. So those are two movie recommendations. Just watch them both and let us know what you think. Uh, yeah, you have a double feature. <laughs> now, as far as books, without a doubt, the book you have to read is called The Beast of Bray Road, Trailing Wisconsin's Werewolf. In 2015, this was written by Linda S. Godfrey. This is written on how she became involved, and it presents a study about the phenomena of the creature, and it does it in an entertaining way by providing the eyewitness accounts, as well as the effects the stories had on the people in the town around her. She was there at Ground Zero, and she gained all of this information on it and had these experiences with these people. So she completely researched the creature, and as far as I'm concerned, she is the expert on the Beast of Bray Road. Now, so we've gone over the stories and the encounters, which there is a great deal of, and we've talked about the different theories of what it could be. What I want to know now is, Goldian, what are some of your final opinions about the Beast of Bray Road? That's pretty cool. I mean, I kind of like this this story. It's it's a little different. I like all the different sightings. True. A little bit more than the Rougarou. More supernatural. This one combines supernatural with wolves, with the Rougarou, uh, you know, in so many forms. 
Well, being sure to watch the road as I drive home tonight, I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. We want to give special thanks to David Facilian and Facilian Studios for our introduction music. We would love to ask you to please leave us a review on the podcast provider you are listening to the podcast on. It helps promote our shows to new listeners. We are on social media such as Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, and we would love to hear your stories and opinions about your encounters with your own werewolves of your area. You can reach us on our Facebook page, Within the Mist Podcast. We also have an email at withinthemistpodcast at gmail.com for any of you who would like to share. We love your stories and your personal experiences. For those of you who may need a daily dose of cryptids and ghosts, we have a TikTok channel, which gives you a few-minute clips about a story involving some of your favorite and some unknown creatures and spirits. Definitely unknown. I mean, most of them I've never heard of. You're pretty good at that. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. We hope you enjoyed our stories about the beasts of Bray Road, and we'll come again for another episode. As a reminder... If we entertained you, please feel free to donate a few dollars to our Buy Me a Coffee app. It's a great way to show you enjoyed our stories, and we'll come again for another episode about cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. Until then, we hope you make your way out of the mist safely, and perhaps a bit more curious. Goodbye, everyone. See you next time.